This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, Seattle voters cast their ballots, and early results look promising for the housing levy, but not so much for city council incumbents. Mysterious white powder sent through the mail disrupted ballot counting while election workers were evacuated, and Washington state is the land of potholes, according to USA Today. KUOW anchor and reporter Paige Browning and vocal WA community organizer Deontay Damper are here to break down the election week. But first, let's get you caught up. The latest ballot count shows incumbent City Council member Dan Strauss in the lead in his race against challenger Pete Hanning by just 225 votes in District 6. In District 2, incumbent Tammy Morales is still trailing challenger Tanya Wu by nearly three percentage points. And in District 7, Andrew Lewis, the incumbent, still behind by about seven percentage points. At the county level, candidate Teresa Mosqueda has widened her lead over opponent Sophia Aragon. If Mosqueda prevails, she'll have to vacate her current job as Seattle City Council member. The next vote drop is Monday. Washington State Department of Transportation is still sorting through a cyber attack that disrupted some of the agency's websites this week. The attack targeted travel-related information like live video feeds. Traffic cameras have been restored on the agency's app, but as of late Thursday, we're still not up on the webpage. It's all under investigation. And in sports, Seattle's OL Reign play for their first NWSL championship in franchise history tomorrow. It's also the last shot at a league title for retiring star Megan Rapino. The Reign face off against New York's Gotham FC at five on Saturday in San Diego. Rapino has won an Olympic gold medal and two Women's World Cups. It's Friday again. Hope you had a decent week. If not, take a nice, deep breath. The weekend is almost here. Paige Browning is back. She's a news anchor and reporter here at KUOW. Paige, always good to have you on. Hey, Trish. Thanks for having me. Deontay Damper is here as well. He's a community organizer with Vocal Wa. Great to have you with us, Deontay. Thank you for having me here, uh, Trisha. And what's up, Paige? Haven't seen you in a while, but so happy to see you today. Great to see you. All right, you two, let's dive in. It was a busy election week. Election workers are still counting ballots after a scary disruption this week. The vote will determine a new direction for our city council. We'll talk about that evacuation in a minute. But first, Seattle is a progressive town, you two, but most left-leaning candidates seem to be falling behind at this point. Up in my neck of the woods in District 5, Christiana Obey-Sumner is getting trounced by opponent Kathy Moore, a retired King County Superior Court judge who had the mayor's endorsement. Obey-Sumner, one of the most progressive candidates on the ballot, a social equity consultant and member of the Green Party. In District 2, Tanya Wu has an early lead over incumbent Tammy Morales. Wu is a CID local and community advocate. Okay, you two, early days for sure. Deontay, what are we seeing here? 
you know, listen, we are seeing a lot in all of these districts, right? But Seattle's always been progressive, right? People are saying, oh, it's going to be like a, a big change. But I strongly believe that the candidates that are coming in, they do have some big shoes to fill. Mm -hmm. One of the candidates, though, I will say that I've appreciated is um, maybe soon to be Council Member Hollingsworth, right? Joy. You know, but, right. Joy Hollingsworth, right soon to be, but we don't know yet, right? One of the things that I've loved about the things, because we know that simple possession has been like a different policies have been coming mm -hmm. out in mm -hmm. city council as of late. You know, one of the things that I loved watching her do was being devoted to some of the local shelters and going to different co-lead sites where communities have been impacted. But also, Alex has been doing her thing now. So I just can't wait to see what that's going to be as well. What do you think about pay? What do you think about that pay? Well, it's reminding me too of uh, as you're talking about Joy Hollingsworth's um, connections in the community. That was a big platform that Tammy Wu took. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the district I live in, and I, I, you know, so I've been getting getting the campaign flyers, and one of them was basically a hit on Tammy Morales. Had this map of South Seattle that was like a a pretend Where's Waldo. Look for Ooh. Tammy Morales. You can't find her anywhere. That was that oh, was well, what no. Wu's campaign was was saying is, hey, I'm a big part of the community. You see me out in the Chinatown International District. I'm holding press releases. I'm here. Where's where's Tammy Morales? So I think you're onto something there that that might have been one of the factors is some of these newer candidates saying, look, I am here for you. I'm on your doorstep. Well, you know, I wonder, you two, if this is more what we're seeing, at least initially in these early returns, is more of a vote against the sitting Seattle Council more mm -hmm. than anything, right? Because, man, when I started to see the election returns come in, I pulled out my voters' uh, pamphlet again and started just tearing out the pages and underlining things for the candidates who were in the lead from their voter statement. And I can't tell you how many of them just directly attacked the sitting council in their position statements, right? It wasn't about where the city was headed. It was about where the city is right now and how we can't do this anymore. You know, that's interesting, though. But, you know, like the race where I was like, oh, well, they're going back and forth a lot was District 1 mm -hmm. with, with Saka. Mm. Um, and oh, wow, like that race, it really got intense towards the end. So I'm over here in District 1, mm. previously in District 2. And it has this this race has been pretty it was it was close in the beginning. But well, we, I think we kind of see who's going to come out on that one. But we will see once the final call comes. But what's going on in D5, though? Well, of course, that's the only race I think anybody feels comfortable calling at yeah. this point is the Kathy Moore, right. Christina Obe-Sumner race. And, you know, in that race, I wondered out loud if it was Obe Sumner's position or more to the point, it was Kathy Moore's strength as a candidate, right? She's backed by Mayor Harrell. I'm curious how that played out because Obe Sumner, it's it's – it's, it's a, I think it's a forty point lead. It is. At this it's a point. forty point spread now. Yeah, and yeah. And, and I want to point out a, a couple of things. I mean, look, Seattle is still a capital D Democrat city. Like they, they always are going to win the day here. But that definition of Democrat in City Hall is starting to look different this year. Things have changed since the pandemic. 
Yeah. And you're totally right, Trish. The sitting council members sort of had a target on their back from their challengers. Just to- ask Andrew Lewis. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just ask Andrew Lewis wow. and Strauss and Tammy mm-hmm. Morales. But, you know, they they directly criticized their voting record. D5 was the race that I thought that, you know, that that no one was really paying attention to. Yeah. But, but I thought that it was the most unique race because they're both on different ends of the advocacy work, right? Um, yeah. uh, of their work towards being the community compass, right? I really hope that, you know, Obey Sumner and, and um, the winner also are able to work on these policies together, right? What would it look like if they worked as a collective? Because mm. they're on the same trajectory. They both want communities to thrive. I feel like their visions can also be a part of that community compass. I should point out that Kathy Moore, yeah, a retired King County Superior Court judge and Obey Sumner, social equity consultant and member of the Green Party. So yeah, maybe the same spectrum, but definitely different ends. Yeah, I I did see uh, Obey Sumner, at least as of this moment, has not conceded the race, but said something to the the effect of, if I'm not elected to the council... I may be looking for another way to be getting involved in local politics. So we yeah. maybe we could see some of that partnership. We do know that the races citywide were influenced, yeah. again, by big businesses, wealthy donors who may not yeah. align with progressive values, and realtors this time put big money into the council races to move the council toward the center. And then I just want to drop a little factoid here about who voted, okay? A third of the voters were over age 65. Mm, That is who turned out, a third of the voters. So low turnout from youth and middle-aged voters is not often in the progressives' favor. And turnout was just low this election. It's not always good for the the more left-leaning Democratic candidates. So this is the council we're picking. Our political reporter David Hyde asked if the city will now become a law and order town after this election. There certainly were a lot of candidates that ran on pro-policing, pro-safety platforms, whatever that means to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Tanya Wu really pushed it. She really, I must say, like she really pushed I think that once she started pushing, all the other candidates, all the other incumbents were all, I mean, all the other people that were running all started pushing back too. all started advocating. And I think that, you know, as we are working on this community compass, I, I hope that we can continue to be more open minded on the conversation. But but I think Tanya Wu really, really pushed it in the areas of like yes. making sure that we're advocating for well, advocating for more policing in the area, especially in the area, mm-hmm. the district that she's in. Absolutely. And I I think Joy Hollingsworth has said um, some similar sentiments. As far as law and order, I'm not quite sure the city's going to go that far. You know, harsh law enforcement um, oversight and penalties. They would need more cops for that. We would need Mm. more cops for that. Um, But on the flip side, you know, even if they are going to push for a huge campaign to hire new police officers, We did just finally launch this alternative response unit. I don't know if you've been following this. What is that? Wait, Paige, what is that? Yes. Okay. So (laughs) I'm glad we're talking about this. It's important. (laughs) Yeah. Like a a couple of weeks ago. So this was in October. The city launched their new alternative response unit. They're calling it the CARE team. And 
It's only a pilot right now, but in downtown Seattle, where the pilot's happening, crisis responders who are not law enforcement will be sent out to calls, sometimes on their own and sometimes with police, to help defuse situations, to be present when an officer's not really necessary. So this has been a very slow program to come to fruition, but it is being launched now. That could change the conversation if this is successful come, you know, the next city council election. I hope they can get enough people to staff that program page yeah. because I hear it on the scanner at night when I'm listening being dispatched all mm. uh, all evening long. It's busy. It's busy. Big ups to whoever came up with that idea to push that out there to community folks. You know, when I think about our community members out there and lived experience from the co-lead organizations to reach, I know that they've been going out there, but it'll be interesting to see what this program entails. Will it be for safety? But we'll see what that looks like. It sounds a little similar to the uh, Health One program that the fire department runs, right? You know, kind of a social worker situation, a warm handoff to services, you know, a liaison situation where it's not necessarily law enforcement taking the lead there. Yeah. All right. We should move on, though. $190 million housing levy also looks like it's going to pass. The city is going to raise property taxes to pay for construction of new affordable housing. It's funny. Voters seem okay with paying for housing levies since the 80s now. I wonder what Mm -hmm. you think that says about the priorities in this election. Well, Seattle is a a tax-friendly city when it comes to (laughs) property taxes, sales taxes, not income tax. Washington won't touch that one. But it, yeah, it has. The city has supported housing levies for like 40 years, like you alluded to. It's wild. It is wild. And we still have a shortage of housing, like a very large shortage of housing. This is supposed to build 3,000 units, which is not even the amount, not even close to the amount of people who are living unhoused in our region. So we're putting some money toward it, but it's just always coming up a little short. The priority is there from voters. They keep approving it, but these levies can can only go so far. When we have these levies for housing, it always just continues just to give me hope, hope that community Mm -hmm. folks can be able to get housed. And when we say Mm -hmm. affordable, I just think about some of our community members that have been displaced. Right. So I think this is just still an an opportunity to still have those conversations. I know uh, some of the folks that were working on that, Cliff Cawthorn and um, Habitat for Humanity. So big up to them. Mm -hmm. I think this is still an opportunity for us to continue as Washingtonians, to continue to push housing, housing, housing. Well, Wednesday's ballot drop was much smaller than expected around the state as elections officials in King Pierce, Skagit, and Spokane counties were evacuated after finding envelopes with an unidentified white powder. Police confirmed the powder in King and Pierce County had traces of fentanyl in it. Washington Secretary of State Steve Hobbs is calling it an act of terror. Mm. No employees were harmed physically, but it actually sounds pretty scary. Yeah. That's scary. You know, um, we yeah. just really need to, to to just focus more about the safety in our state and nationally to protect our community, right? Members that even work at those specific sites, right? I, I remember that there was like a bill that they were trying to pass like earlier last year uh, to protect election workers. 
No, but I think it got stuck in committee. So I'm hoping that we push this for a lot more for next year because we already know what next year is going to bring. I know we had a slow voter turnout this year, but with this presidential election coming up and community members passionately about who feeling passionately about who they're voting for, Mm -hmm. we just really need to focus on the safety for all Washingtonians in this state. Paige, these election workers are trained for this kind of event. That in itself says a lot. Oh, it wow. does. Yeah, that, that was one of the first things that the King County election spokesperson, Haley Watkins, told our producers yesterday is, yeah, we're, we're out in the parking lot. We've evacuated. We trained for this earlier this year. It's unfortunate but true that we are ready for this. I was thinking, you know, a few years ago, the state of Washington had a large focus on cybersecurity around elections. The officials were talking about it kind of every time a general election came around that they were boosting resources for cybersecurity to make sure the vote that, you know, it was safe, that the data was safe and could not be hacked or altered. Okay, things just got really real because now this is the second election in a row for Washington um, where we're seeing threats go to people who are just doing part of the civic duty of the nation and our county of counting every single person's ballot. And I, I, I agree with Deontay. We need to really talk about what does safety look like for an election worker? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, that sounds like a segment. That sounds like a segment. I'll be back for that one. <laughs> okay. Well, and yeah. if you think about it, sending an envelope filled with powder is a pretty low lift act of terror, which actually makes it even more diabolical, right? And then I remember, I think that one of the, one of the locations, it was just baby powder, but still even just push, just doing that, right? It's just like the fear, the fear from our community folks, uh, our elders, our, our, all of our loved ones um, in the state. I just, big shout out to all of the all of the community workers that are still counting ballots, right? Um, yes. And just pray for your safety um, just in this space. Well, and we're talking about the election workers, but there was also white powder mailed to two synagogues this week and a suspicious package was sent yeah. to Hillel Dub. So this is, you know, we are in a, a scary time. All right. One last thing before we go. A recent USA Today ranking named Washington the worst state in the country for potholes. Minnesota and Michigan (laughs) round out the top three. We have three cities on the ranking of the nation's worth. Spokane, Yakima, Mm. and our fair city, Seattle. Mm. This does not surprise me. I live in the North End. I rumble down the damn street all the time with potholes. So either of you surprised by this? You know... Let me tell you, I ain't surprised, you know, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, driving down Rainier Avenue, um, oh, it yeah. seems like I need an emergency kit. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you got to think about it like early, like in, in February 2023, they fixed 5000 potholes. Right. Shout out to wow. FL, right? 5000 even like in, in there. Right. But mm-hmm. Rainier Avenue has always just been like, yeah. It's, it's, it's never been an easy space. And it's always the yeah. same one right in front of Franklin every time. Franklin High School. But just just throwing that out. <laughs> well, OK, so I'm from Spokane. Okay. And a a classic complaint that people talk about in Spokane is how many potholes there are. OK, <laughs> this is all growing up. Everyone's talking about there's so many potholes. The city's got to do something about this. Then I moved to Seattle 
everyone's complaining about the potholes. So I was like, <laughs> oh, this is just a thing everywhere. But USA Today tells me, no, it's not. It's just a thing in the places you've lived. So, um, no, I, I see it. And if you have you ever, like, blown out a tire driving over one of these? Yes. Yes, it's horrible. I took out my uh, undercarriage in one. <gasps> yes. Wow. Yes, yes. No, it was. it's brutal. And it will cost you. AAA yeah. says the cost of most pothole-related repairs are about 400 bucks. So yeah. nobody needs that. Nobody it, needs that. Yeah, and it always gets worse after, especially in Seattle, after there's like a snow and ice storm. Freeze-thaw is terrible. Exactly, yeah. the freeze-thaw. The roads can't really handle it, so they just start popping popping holes uh left and right man you know what i thought of what we should do mm. how about a pothole levy <laughs> there we Ooh, go my people gosh i love that yeah you know? we're solving problems <laughs> we're solving problems yeah i like it i like it tell me when that levy comes up yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh well, and then i was gonna say you know when it comes spring and summer especially potholes are not just a problem for car drivers out there it's a problem for buses it's a problem for bicyclists um for people with mobility issues who are trying to get across the street so yeah yes it's, it's uh it it's one of volcanoes earthquakes and potholes that's our it's also bad for my marriage <laughs> because my husband <laughs> and you're making me think of this because my husband when we're ever he's gonna kill me when we're in the car together and i hit a pothole or a bump he'll go Ugh. Like he's being hurt by it. And, you know, I'm telling you, Seattle, fix this because oh. we've been married a little bit too long and I can't handle it anymore. Wow. <laughs> this is a marital maybe, issue. <laughs> maybe it's just another reason to ride public transportation, you there two. You're not liable if your bus hits the pothole. The light you might rail. be a little late. All right. Yeah. Let's leave it there. Paige Browning is a news reporter and anchor here at KUOW. Deontay Damper is a community organizer for Vocal Law. Thanks again, you two. Thank y'all. Happy Friday. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. We can only make this show with your support. If you've become a member, thanks. If not, check out that link in the show notes to donate. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones and Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our production team also includes Claire McGrain and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you Monday. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.